Hello and welcome to another episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who really enjoys spending time with sea urchins. I am the Adam Glass, and uh, uh, they come up, they ask for money, they say, please, sir, can I have some more? And then you say, I don't remember how that goes, so it's like, no. I know it's no, but I don't remember what the exact phrase is. It's definitely a no, and, and then probably there's a song. I Probably. Food, glorious food. My problem is I get start getting confused I whenever fair. I start thinking about that. I start also thinking about the wall, and then I can't oh, yeah, not yeah, think yeah. about like pudding and meat, and it, it's a mess. How are you? How are you going to have your pudding if you haven't eaten your yeah, meat? Yeah, exactly. I don't even remember the actual. Yeah, line. how can like you have that. your pudding if anyway. you don't eat your meat or something like that? Um, I learned fairly recently that uh, that the word urchin is just uh, like a Middle English word for hedgehog. Oh, is it? Interesting. Uh, yeah. So, so that's a fascinating think fine. Uh, result, the way that all panned yeah. out. Yeah. So sea urchin is just is just water hedgehog, which is delightful. Uh, but, and then street uh, urchin no is ri- just street hedgehog? Well, Pat, before we get into uh, this week's episode, uh, usually I say the movie this week, but uh, it's uh, it's a lot of movies this week. But oh, boy, before we get into the episode, it? yeah, before we get into the episode, I do want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lost in criteria. Also a lot of movies. Also a lot of movies. That's That's true. Uh, over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to bonus episodes. We do non-criterion films over there, and supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch. Uh, like I said, that's just a dollar, and you get access to the entire back catalog of those. We've watched a lot of very interesting movies over there, a lot of pretty bad movies over there, a lot of very good movies over there. Some stuff in the middle. Uh, and, uh, yeah, of course, you know. The bulk of the stuff is probably in the middle, but we've really enjoyed. There's There has rarely been movies over there that were just middling, that weren't disappointing because of how middling right. they were. Right, well, I mean, that's not true. That's the weird thing, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, like you can make a movie that's bad by sheer fact of not being good, even though it's actually not Right, bad. right, right. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, one episode over there that we generally consider one of the worst movies we've watched is uh, The Will Ferrell Kicking and Screaming. And I've talked to a lot of people who enjoyed that movie, and I just don't understand it because it should have been so much better than it was, given the pieces. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, we, 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 yeah, there's a lot going on there, but yeah. Right, right. But, you know, Will, uh, Kicking and Screaming is is fine. That was from an episode, uh, the, the month... The list that month, the theme was movies that share titles with Criterion movies. Um, we've done lists that are just movies from Director X, who we experienced in the cle- <laughs> collection, X. who aren't in the collection, like Louis Mollet's documentaries we did a month for, where we ended up watching God's Country, which is a phenomenal movie, really interesting. Uh, 
but yeah, we've watched a really eclectic mix of stuff over there. Uh, I mean, probably not as eclectic as the stuff the Criterion Collection actually offers, considering the topic of this week's episode. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, yeah, uh, but the the Criterion Collection certainly has a a wide berth of what it considers putting out, and uh, and we try. I suppose we try to mirror that. Uh, just with I, a lot. I mean, of, uh, yes, you can mirror that by just that acting completely randomly every month, and you're pretty yeah, much going to yeah, mirror that. Yeah, that's fair too. Uh, the most recent bonus episode uh, that'll be up. Uh, we'll actually record it right after this, but it will be a Sunny Chiba inspired list. Watching Terror Beneath the Sea, a 1966 uh, sci-fi horror movie. Uh, I guess sci-fi horror thriller. I, I mean, know. as much as any. As much as any of the 1966 sci-fi movies we've watched as part of the collection have been horror right, movies. Right, yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, it is. that's where we get into a real, like, the word horror has a very, very yeah, indistinct yeah. meaning. Indeed. Uh, for a little extra, $5 above, just for, for people who, who you know can't afford to and, uh, and want to give us a little extra money but not commit to anything much higher... At $5 a month, we do like to just thank those people on air. So thank you to Eric Coronado and to Stephen Goldmeyer, who are current $5 supporters. Uh, Eric's actually a $6 supporter right now. I pointed this out to him, and he he said, well, I'm so proud to be your first $6 supporter. Uh, He's ended up up with two Patreon accounts somehow, so he's giving us a dollar under one of them and $5 (laughs) under another. Thank you, you, Patreon, Uh, for best being incomprehensible. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's Patreon's fault more than it is Eric's. Uh, but uh, we have one other tier, and and at it, I think we do something pretty special. At $10 and above, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little first, uh, personalized thank you note, and mail that off. And that is $10 and above, and we do like to thank those people on air as well. So thank you to our $10 and above supporters, Adam Speakerman, Patrick Yako, Michael McGrath, Jason Westhaver, and Christopher Otto. Uh, very happy yes, to have you all you supporters, yes. but also very happy to, uh, send you to have you listeners. And also send you postcards. Yeah. And also send you postcards, yeah. Uh, if you want to check out those postcards and see them before you uh, before you commit or, or buy old ones, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion. Uh, and we'll we'll pop up there. Uh, it's just easier to search for us than to, than to actually yeah, actual type go in the, to the address. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you can also uh, look at all the fun other cri- Criterion art that is. Yeah, if you, you just know. search for Criterion, you can see a lot of people who are selling like posters that are just uh, the actual yeah infringement on yeah. <laughs> on Criterion's box art. Uh, you know, just a big poster that's matte black and has a silver K on it, and they're claiming that's a that's Citizen Kane poster. <laughs> but yeah, if you want to support us, it is again uh, Patreon.com/slash Lost in Criterion. So this week we're watching a box set called Science Is Fiction. It is twenty-three films by Jean Painlevé. Uh, mm-hmm. He was born in nineteen o two, died in eighty nine. He is a very early, but not the earliest, and he'll be the first to admit it, uh, scientific film uh, creator. I, he'll be the first to admit it, that one particular thing. And after that, it will all be a lot of self-backpacking, okay? <laughs> there is a lot of self-backpacking. There, there's, 
so so the Criterion DVD is 23 of his short films between about four minutes and 27 minutes, I think is the longest one. And then there is a, on the Criterion channel, it's a single video. I don't know if on the DVD it breaks it up, but it is a two hour and 45 minutes uh, video that is just a string of variously lengthed uh, French television show episodes of Painlev talking about his career. And sometimes talking about each individual movie, sometimes talking about stuff that is outside of this collection. Um, I don't think he talks about everything that's in the collection, but he, he gets might. very close. He talks about a lot. He of does the get very close. Yeah, or a lot of the yeah. ones in the collection. Right. Um, and then, uh, and then he also just talks about himself a lot. There's I mean, it's mo- let's be clear there. here. It's mostly that, like. Yeah. Like I don't know what the setup and, and the way and he it was also talks, conducted. He talks a lot about people he screwed over over the yeah, years, yeah, and, then and, and about how it. he was just an asshole. Like a lot of times. Like yeah. my takeaway from yeah. this is, pioneer or not, this man was a fucking asshole. Uh, <laughs> and the thing about it is, is that that interview, honestly speaking, that interview for the most part is like somebody said, okay, we want you to talk about each film, give us a little bit of context for each one and then talk about the film. And I have like I don't know that this is obviously we don't know anything, but like it feels like that and that spiraled into him just telling these super long-winded stories about like most I of mean, the time borderline irrelevant to the actual film. To be fair, most of those interviews seem to have been done when he was 85. So No, like, I understand that. But you don't. A man I, sprawlingly telling stories about his past is not that well, surprising. Well, but yes, but like if you're doing an interview, you might actually want to like keep him on track or something like that. Break it right, into smaller right. interviews. It, it, if they gave him carte blanche, I would also believe that they just walked well, they in did. and say like, "Just tell us about your life." Um, right. Like either way, the result is just with each progressive episode, me being less and less impressed by this person. Right. Right. Uh, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, the the guy certainly did have an interesting life. Uh, his father was a mathematician and twice prime minister of France. Uh, his mother died shortly after childbirth. Uh, he, by his own admission, was not a great student, but seems very conflicted about whether, it, whether or not he... Uh, uh, I suppose networked in his father's okay, name. Okay, let's be very okay. Like this uh, is the first thing we have to break down. He is conflicted yeah. in the way that people who are very, very well off, sort of like humble brag their way through being conflicted about whether or not their connections are what caused right. their success. Right. They're like, well, right. I, you know, because like, let's be very clear. It a hundred percent did. Be- because what? let's bear in mind that like this was not a thing at the time, and whether or not scientists, you know, we, no one would argue that the sort of the growth of scientific film was a bad idea or anything like that. Obviously, yeah, even the work he did, even even accepting anything else, just being able to capture the things in motion and then mess with the footage in ways like slowing down the way you're recording and things like that, provided 
valuable data, like really beyond just conveying that information to people could actually provide valuable data to people. Right. But the thing is, is that like we, we talked about this before and with other people and other sort of positions like this, like, do you honestly believe that if some random kid from like a lower middle class or poorer family was like, I have this brilliant idea about what I can do for science. It would in any way be successful at all. Like he would even get off the right. ground. No, it's impossible. It was basically impossible when he I think did one, it. One particular aspect that plays into that is he's the youngest person to ever have a paper published for the National Academy of the Sciences in, uh, in France. And this happened because he was essentially interning in his early 20s for a scientist who had a paper published. If his father wasn't who his father was, would he have gotten that internship? Would he have gotten would his that name job? have been on that paper? Would his name have been on that it paper? One hundred percent would not have been, considering the way I, uh, like credit <laughs> in papers works in, acad- in academia. Right. Uh, it right. should have been like regardless. It probably it, it should have been, but would it have been probably not? That whole internship, he described, okay, like, sorry, but, like, one of the things I wanted to talk about really quickly is when you, um, when you, ever you listen to people for whom things like networking were essential to getting their career, there's often this sort of, like, long-winded story that goes with it, describing as them sort of just stumbling into it, and then having a moment, I wonder if my family had anything to do with that, and it's like, that's not actually what happened. You can even tell in the story, you can read right between the lines and be like, oh, you liked hanging out here. And this researcher realized that this was a academic goldmine to just like let you futz around, basically. Like and it's like you've you've stumbled into all of these opportunities, but there's a reason those doors were open. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's like those doors were open because of who you were. And you and yeah. and and it, and it helps when they're telling that those stories, and you, we've heard it many times in this podcast. Right, it, it somehow helps these people intellectually to imagine that that's just like it was just happenstance that all those doors were open, because right. admitting down all the way down to the root cause is a painful personal admission yeah. that like oh none of this would have been possible a hundred percent now. Now, on a sort of flip side to that, he does explicitly state that he he left one university because because he went in mathematics and he knew he was not strong in mathematics. But because his father was a famous mathematician, they put him at the top of the class after the entrance exams. And he says, I knew that wasn't proper and left the school. Right. Okay. So he um, can realize that blatant corruption is wrong. Right. Like right, good. Right. Good for him. But, but like. But a few minutes earlier, he had said, "Well, I only graduated high school because the principal knew the examiner." Right. Uh, and he and just writes no that off because it's like as I was. Right. right. He just right. writes that off because like, well, that the the principal it wasn't my fault. Fo- you know, it, it's it's right. just enough right. removed that he can like disown it and be like, oh, I had nothing to do with right. it. Right. And, like, again, wandering into – I was just hanging out at the zoo a lot or whatever it was, and, like, they offered right, me this right. – Like, you don't think there were other kids fucking hanging out at the zoo a lot? Did they get internships? Right. Were they included in papers having basically no academic background worth speaking of? No, they weren't. 
because that's some crazy bullshit. Like, right. you barely graduated at all. <laughs> and apparently, mostly graduated because of corruption. And, right. like, well, yeah, but they just give it to me because I was hanging out at the zoo all the time. Like, no. Don't, like, why? Like, I know why you're lying to yourself, but stop it. You're 87 <laughs> years old. You could just admit, like, at this point. Come right. on, man. Sorry, this fresh. Yeah. This is just when he was telling that story, I started to get really, really annoyed because uh, right. we've heard that story so many times at this point. The number of directors in the Criterion Collection who will describe and, the story of them wandering into a place and suddenly magically being offered some position—it's like, right. man, do you know why you right. were offered that? You know why you were offered that position? And it's not that is not like with other people we've talked about similar things with happening. That is not to downplay Penlev's Did some creativity amazing work. or his intelligence. Uh, you know, he seems after after leaving school, he fell in with uh, what's the Hammond sisters, um, and uh, and they seem to have done a lot of uh, philosophical and scientific study uh, outside of traditional schoolwork. That. Uh, I don't know. He just <laughs> he he seems to have managed, maybe even despite his father, to fall in with a very interesting crowd of counterculturalists. Uh, but right. that is also a privilege of a a certain right, which we can talk about. Is like too. and and right. actually that privilege seems to have followed him throughout it because when you start to listen to the stories, it's like when none of your movies broke even. Except for one, where was all the money for? Like, where was where that were, money what were you from? living off of? Where was the money coming from? Where was all this like, like when you are like kind of bumming around with counter counterculturists? Like, great, it's a very good thing to do. How? How yeah. are you paying for that? Not that people shouldn't be allowed to do that. People absolutely should. But like, the reality of society is that most people can't do that for a reason. Right. And, you know, uh, upper class people with too much money joining anarchist and communist organizations and spreading that money around, that's a yeah. that's a great way for things to work out, too. Yeah, although uh, but, it, uh, it does also seem that at some point or another they end up sort of abandoning that and right. spending the rest of that's their fair. time doing not that. Yeah. Now, biographically, there is some other interesting things he talks about. Uh, his, uh, his time during World War II. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about about films involved with that, I think, after this. But uh, but he did talk that uh, he was hired to make a film, an unfinished film, um, about French uh, scientific advancements of the of the twentieth century, uh, and he frames this as an anti-Nazi propaganda film. Uh, but I think I. Ideally, we need to move that hyphen. It is an anti-Nazi propaganda film, in that it was meant to counter Nazi propaganda. Right. Not that, not that the movie itself was anti-Nazi. Right. Uh, because, because according to him, Nazi propaganda at the time was trying to paint uh, the French as easily conquerable because they were all a bunch of dumb farmers. So they produced this film to show that they were uh, actually intelligent people. And it was the occupation government that hired him to do it. 
and then after after uh france kicked the nazis out uh after liberation uh he well he had refused to finish the movie under occupation and then after he was arrested or at least tried and and accused of stealing the money for the film because he refused to turn it in during occupation and then de gaulle after liberation continued uh the suit against him. right go ahead sorry uh and then what he says here is is very interesting to me um because he is he is you know as i've already hinted he is someone who used his position of privilege for good at times um he really seems to have uh, and one of the things he says about that is that he had uh, a number of Jewish individuals uh, living in France uh, who had assets in his name so that they would not be confiscated by right. the, the occupation government. And he knew that if he fought the charges, those assets might be uh, taken uh, as payment, so instead he pled guilty and took his punishment. Right, but that's where I get, um, I get a little confused about the timeline of this story, and this might just be because I, he didn't explain it well enough. Or, or yeah, he didn't fight it in the De Gaulle period because he was worried about that. But during the De Gaulle period, all those assets should have, in theory, been he should have already right. returned he them been, over to the right owners anyway, be able to be turned over. Right. So like. It would have been, and now maybe that would have looked suspicious, but I feel like at some point you could probably just, you know, in a post-Nazi court, I feel like you could probably right. just be like, look, lots of people did this thing. Like, right. wh- like I don't feel like that, like, while it is a good it's not, thing to do, I don't feel like it was like... It's not like he was... He wasn't being charged for collaboration for making a movie for no. the occupational government. He was being charged with stealing government funds Which, for. To be fair, like not okay. Like we can talk about the sort of legalities of all that and stuff, but like he did actually take the money for that film and then turn it in. So right. I can almost see like my my guess is there. I feel like there's got to be like an extra layer that we're not exactly getting. Somewhere Listen, in I am. There. Stealing money from Nazis is fine, no matter what. Right, so I understand I'm, that one hundred percent. But like, but the goal, and we can talk about the goal too. But yeah. like, right. considered the money that the occupational government had is official French money, right? That right, he, right, right. I, it, I think somewhere along the line, I bet the answer could have been, "You can just pay this back." And the, probably the other right. answer was, "I don't have any of it. I used right. it and lived off of it." But also, right, I'm a little right, bit confused right. in the timeline. All of this happened during the occupation, which means he agreed to make this movie during the occupation. Well, he seems to have maybe agreed to make the movie just prior to the Blitz. Which, uh, yeah, I okay. Like, it's very confusing. It's, so, like, he, he agreed to make it for the the French Republic, and then... War came to France, and the occupation government still wanted him to make the movie for some reason, uh, because there is that you know even there is that continuity of power 
right within the well, and there's also that thing that's like when like there's a there's a common thing when like you've seen it with other like sort of occupation governments where it's like oh we want you to like there's continuity of power but there's also that whole thing that they'd be like oh like we want to show how great things are under this new government like you know what i mean like it's like well we'll just continue those projects that were already under underway to do that right we can take clay we can claim credit for it here uh instead but like i i don't know it's it's all it's a weird story yeah yeah. And so I guess I guess also he didn't technically steal the funds from the occupation government then. Yeah, yeah. While it was the occupation government that was insisting that he finishes finished it, it was. And then I feel like no. at some point maybe like maybe you know it's it's a mess. I don't. It, it's an interesting story, yeah. but it it's also a weird one because it's like we get in the the title of this of this video is like. It's been like, like through his works, and it's so right, right. little of that that it is. It is like, for example, this yeah. episode that we're talking about is almost a hundred percent just that, right? And we get right. almost and no not... videos that we saw featured in that at all. It's like uh, you just because it's un- it's an unreleased exactly. Film, it's right? like it's and then like unfinished. why is it also you could have just released the thing whatever you had. I don't know. It's right. It sounded right. fairly I guess, interesting. I mean that's. At some point, maybe there's no point in finishing it, uh, but right. also, I do like how the actual producers of the of the show uh, framed that by him talking about accepting his punishment and have be fine, and them immediately cutting to the Le <laughs> and Liberté for Eternity. Right, yeah, that was popping across the screen. The editing of that was pretty like of that. Yeah, yeah. The, the editing of that show was. Yeah, Possibly the people more making the interesting show are than, pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. They did a lot of really neat um, stuff about the way they visualized what he was talking about and like cutting to a lot of like sort of essentially reference material to like because he's just sort of rambling like, oh, well, we went to this place or we went to that place. But like, so it provides a lot of good context that like, because like, bear in mind, one of the offhand references, like, oh, well, we went to stay in the palace of like our summer home for the yeah. summer was. The palace of like the queen, Wait, Mary Queen of Scots, right. or something. I'm like, right. I like, I almost like, I was like, fuck you. And that was the first time he ever saw an octopus. And also, I was like, in the what? in the private aquarium at this house or something. Yeah, yeah it was crazy. Right? I was like, what are you yeah. talking about? Like, yeah. what is happening um, here? Uh, so, a couple other things from the uh, from the series. Uh, there are a couple times he ta- well he frequently talks about his collaborators. Uh, there are there are sort of two I want to highlight. One that paints him as very bad, uh, like very, <laughs> very bad. Yeah. Um. So during uh, during the I think the twenties, late twenties, uh, he worked with a cinematographer named Eli Lotar. Um, the series, uh, the subtitles on the Criterion, uh, translate it Lothar, T-H. Uh, I can only find him officially as Lothar without the H. Uh, anyway, um, this was a cinematographer who shot a few films for Buñuel and for, for some other people. You know, he was, uh, he went on to do good work. Um, but... Something he shot for, uh, for Payne Lev, was on a special type of film stock, 
<clears throat> that needed to be developed in a special way. And as such, when you send it to the developer, you put a sticker on it to indicate that it was the special type of film stock. The uh, Lotar failed to put the sticker on it, which ruined the film. Something that Payne Lev apparently never let go of. <laughs> In a in a deeply asshole way, like it, like <laughs> yes, like number one, it ruined that. And then you say like, oh well, it had this really special thing happen on the shot, and I'm like, right, right, something like, no one had ever observed before. But bear in mind, things that no one has ever observed observed before happen all the time. Like That's fair. nearly everything he shot is just things that just happen in nature, fucking all the fucking time. Just because right. you're the first person who pointed a camera at it doesn't mean it's not going to happen again. Right. Okay. You can go back. Like um and, and but like also like I I very much as especially as the series progresses do have to take what this guy says with a grain of salt. So right. like these he also sort of seems like the kind of guy who number one seems like he's probably pretty hard to work with based on how strongly he reacted because like more than once he says, "Well, and then I never let anybody shoot my films ever again. I shot all of them." Right, like, right, right. And he says it's it the about first more time th- he says that more than once. Right, and he says it about so many other films. Right and, after nineteen twenty nine, right. and so, so this guy seems like he's also just kind of a jerk who's hard to work with, but also right, right, right because right. his credibility to me as time goes on kind of seems he. I mean, I somewhat find the way he talks about himself somewhat suspicious. Right. I'm also like, did this guy mess it up? Did he mess it up? And he got right. blamed. Right. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that this, this guy. Is, this is definitely it up for you. this is this story should definitely be. We forgot to put the sticker on it. Exactly. Not Lotar forgot to put the sticker on it. Anyway, in any case, Painlev segues on that story to uh, the establishment of the uh, uh, of. Uh, French Cinematic Association that I can't remember the oh, name of. Oh, I know. I which was established in like the 30s. And then he was talking about a, uh, he supported uh, one person for for the presidency at one point and everyone else voted for the other guy without contextualizing that the other guy, <laughs> Franju, who he supported and the other guy whose name I can't remember, uh, were both founders of it, and the other guy had been president for like forty years at that point. Right. Uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, post vote, I guess. In it's a little unclear what the what what the purpose of that aside is. No. Yeah. There, it's but not contextualized basically at all. Yeah. All that to say, he ran into Lotar forty years later again. Uh and Lotar begged him for work, said he'd take anything, and and Painlev said never, and then laughs as he said, he died, he starved to death. And then he and treats it as an anecdote about like, I guess it goes to show still you, die you, can, in cinema. you can die in cinema. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I hate you. And that's very, super very bad. <laughs> hate you very, that very is super much, bad. dude. Yeah. Um. Lotar, though, uh, in looking into him, he doesn't seem to have had any film work after 46. Uh, and it would have been the mid-60s. It was the mid-60s when he died. Uh, and it seems 40 years on from whatever that first anecdote is would have had to have been the 60s as well. So uh, I don't know. It maybe doesn't seem realistic that this guy 
was looking for work. Uh, right, right. At 63 and begging, begging pain lab for it. But maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the French social system was like uh, in the 60s or in the mid 60s. So, well, it's, it's also hard to tell with starving. his work because it seems like a lot of this like stuff is not very well documented because like, I don't know, like I, I think yeah. he must have been working because like, I don't know, it's just. Yeah. I mean, he. It seems Another like he thing, turned. He worked with uh, a bunch, like you know, a bunch of different people, like a lot of different right. people. I, I don't. Know. Yeah, but it's bad. Another it's cinematographer bad he mentions. Another cinematographer he mentions by name is uh, Claude Bezolet, uh, who is. Uh, he was a camera operator for Breathless. He was the cinematographer for Vardas Le Bonheur. Uh, so we've seen his work. Mm-hmm. Um, Apparently invented some sort of <laughs> supposedly two pain lev specifications and someone else's build. Uh, Bosselet used a sort of rudimentary uh, steady cam for the. Yeah, I mean it's basically just a like shoulder harness. It's it's really again yeah. it uh, it does have that fe- to me. While I was watching, it had that feeling of like I'm just gonna kind of wildly claim credit for this other thing as well. Like I'm <laughs> right, just gonna throw right. it into my list, of, that. Uh, my list of. Accomplishments, because yeah. like well, he also yeah, he also claims to to have invented like the scuba gear they use in one scene, yeah. Um, and he talks that you know there is there is information outside of this that talks about him using uh, him hiding out in uh, Spain or Portugal during occupation and sneaking back into France by swimming with with uh <laughs> underwater equipment he invented um but anyway uh <laughs> he he very casually mentions that Boussoulet uh committed suicide years later uh and it's actually kind of interesting how that plays to to the psychology of this being an old man telling <laughs> telling his life story because uh Boussoulet had committed suicide in 83. Right. And this was recorded in like 85. And Boussoulet was also born in the first decade of the 20th century. Uh, so they're both incredibly old men. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's very weird that he just, obviously an old man telling stories, there's going to be a lot of, and then he died and I outlived him. Uh, that's how, old people telling stories sometimes work. Right. You know, that's the end to a lot of people's stories. If you're reminiscing about all your friends in 1985, uh, or at the age of 85, rather, um, the, uh, the Lotar one is egregious in the way it's presented. Um, but it's also an old man with a grudge. So laughing at the fact that you outlasted him is maybe okay, but the fact that you just admitted culpability in his death and then laughed about it is right. uh, I mean, I don't even then like I mean you're eighty five, like let some shit go, man. Like just right, let right, it go. Right, right. He's been dead for thirty years. Yeah. Just calm down. Twenty five. Uh, anyway. Okay. So that's that's basically the rundown of everything from from the biographical stuff from from pain through his films that that i felt like covering 
Um, I mean, I I mean, I watched it. It also has a slightly rambling nature to it because of the way it's it does. made, and and so like, kind of like re-chronological the words. Yeah, like putting it back in chronological order, it, it mentally can be a little bit challenging. And so what you end up with is like this weird sort of like, well, you're just sort of like hitting the highlights, and the highlights right. are only kind of highlights because at the same time you're like. And then, okay, I do have one more complaint about this. Okay. He also then, whenever he does get to the point where he's supposed to talk about a film, ends up just reading the fucking words from the film. <laughs> Completely recaps the plot of the like, film. Not even for, recaps, for because I watched them so compacted together. They are word for fucking word. He just reads the sort of like, like prologue. Yeah. Of his movie, basically word for word, and describes right, like right. his recap of what it is is just the thing that the subtitle said on my screen right. an hour and a half ago, <laughs> and it's like, dude, I'm really impressed that you. I mean, like, did you rewatch them? Were you able to remember? Because if you can remember, good on you. Your memory is very, very good. Um, but it's like you're not. It was weird because I didn't actually. Usually when we watch these documentaries, we usually get such interesting looks into the films. I don't feel like I know anything more about these films than I did when I watched them standalone. Is basically what I came down to I, when I got done with it. There, there is a little bit I feel like like I learned. Um, I think particularly of The Vampire and the idea that he meant that as an, an anti-Nazi film. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. maybe interesting. There's some, there's interesting tidbits. It's not devoid of it. Yeah, but like when you have however many episodes of varying length to this degree. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to learn a lot about like the craft that went right. into making these really revolutionary ways of like depicting, uh, you know, biological events. And instead, I got mostly right. an old man kind of just sort of meandering his way through his life. And With an occasional reference to like, oh, well, we had to build this weird boom arm to be able to do this. Or like, actually, we got that in one take and it was really lucky. And then we didn't like do, we could never get it to work again. Like, right, th right. that's that stuff is neat. But like, man, it's like, there's like maybe 20 minutes of that in a movie that's yeah. two and a half hours long. I like the one, I can't, I can't remember uh, which one it was about, but he says he accidentally reversed the film yeah, that, one, one that was like his that first he was presenting one, yeah. to yeah. that he was presenting to the academy and a whole bunch of scientists caught it and thought it was a completely novel unique uh phenomenon that they had observed and they're like oh we need to watch that film again uh to figure out what was going on and he had caught it as well so he fixed the film and then went back and he didn't want to admit to it because Already, most of the scientists were very against the idea of film being introduced to their medium, you know, to their area of study. Which is really fascinating uh, in and of itself, but yeah. Which is really fascinating in and of itself. There's a lot of really... And and you're right to say it's all very innovative. Uh, the way they're filming it, what they're doing, obviously it is new. Uh, people had, you know, there had been people who had done things like this before but they did not have nearly the success he had probably because they did not nearly have the family money he had or, or the or family the, connections uh, to like let them or keep the family doing connections it. he yeah. had but 
But, you know, he is doing interesting things. They're filming underwater. They're building apparatus to film underwater. They are uh, using cutting-edge, you know, diving equipment to do this stuff. Uh, Sometimes, apparently, inventing it themselves, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. Or at least least personally knowing the person who invented it and saying... uh, designed to my specifications even though it was i me idly saying hey wouldn't it be great if i could breathe underwater and right then, right 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 yeah and then some guy who was in the room next door coming back five years later and saying hey i just invented this uh this oxygen tank or whatever like, oh, you that know, thing i could told be you that to peripheral yeah yeah um but the the films themselves are sometimes very interesting and sometimes very bland um the the very first one the 27 minutes of uh of eggs of of fish eggs is is not something that uh i enjoyed watching no, by any but means but in in a weird way it is the most sort of like in, in some ways it is the most sort of pure to form thing yeah because like it's the one it is the one he showed to the scientist that had the mistake in it and right. it is also exactly like if you've never been able to catch. Okay. So like when you get into like how something like this, like technology could be legitimately useful for science, he's able, because he is able to record the motion at a higher, you know, a different frame rate from what a human eye, like what a human being would normally see these right. things happen at. You can actually watch things happen that you've never been able to see happen before. You've seen the beginning and you've seen the end. You've seen the like, the start point and the results, but you've never really been able to watch it happen, happen, happen. Because like right. now you're watching the blood, you know the you know the um, you know the blood cells actually mo- you can see them move because they're not moving so fast you can't catch them with your eye. Instead of motion, right. you get like actual individual eye, like points moving and stuff like that. A lot of really neat stuff there. So in in that sense, it's the it's it's that one that you're like, okay, well, like this is a great idea. Yeah. Like this is legitimately just a great idea to do this, and like you can show these people who, in theory, should have been really like on board for it because you're like, I can see this thing that I've never been able to see before. Right, Amazing. and obviously a lot of them were. Right, I he talks about the sort of resistance to it, but my guess is a real good helping of them watched it and were like, with all that sort of f- slowed down footage, and we're like, holy shit, I just right. saw a thing, saw a thing I've never been able to see before yeah. in my life. Because like no, that, everybody goes through that, right? That no one no one in history has been able, been to, able see to see before. Yeah. yeah. It is definitely the most dryly scientific. Mm. I feel like maybe he himself got bored with that, which is why the rest of the movies exist in the way they exist. Uh yeah, maybe. I mean, I assume he pro- I I would imagine like the what we see here, he does in the documentary describe movies that we don't see. He talks right. about things we don't see. My guess is that as he is probably still doing a fairly good helping of these, like, oh, we just need to, like, somebody paid me money to just record this thing that needs to be recorded. But at some point, you get to the point in scientific development history where now you every lab just has the equipment to do this. Right. And then you don't, they don't need you anymore 
to do it, you're, it's no longer to a novelty. Like, make oh, these films, yes, right. of course we have a ca- a camera adapter for our micro or for our microscope that we just hook up the camera and then we ship it over to the lab we use to have it. You know what I mean? We don't right, need right, editing. Right. We just need to be able to see the fucking thing we need to be able to see. Right. Like I do. I do find it interesting the way Criterion chooses to uh, present these to us. Yeah. In that they are not in chronological order. They seem to be um, in no sensical order at all, as far as I can, I can figure out. They are, they are maybe. Well, the first disc is also uh, paired with uh, Yola Tango's soundtrack to eight of the films, but not those eight that are on the first right. disc. Right, and also the the soundtrack, <laughs> at least on Spotify, is not in the same order as the movies are right. rendered, at least on Criterion Channel. So it's like, uh, what's happening here? And also the sound. They're on Criterion, they are on Criterion Channel in the order they appear on the DVD. Right, which does not track. match the album, Right, at least which on Spotify. does not match the album. Uh, does not does not match the album track list. Does not match chronological order. Uh, does not seem to match order of interest or popularity. No, I all uh, I will say is that, here's what I will say though: is they don't seem to, like they're not. It doesn't perfectly track, but they do seem to move further and further away from the roots of just rendering out biology right on film like those that last half of that that of that those movies are far more just like some of them are like look like school education films that are like really like low end like here yeah. this is for element like for high school students or junior high school students or or are just like not even science films at all um right it is interesting they didn't start with the sickleback egg, which I'm very happy for them not to right. have started with because I, I would have dreaded the rest of this collection if we had started with a sickleback egg. Um, they did start with two of his earliest four movies. Right. Uh, both silent. Uh, well, I guess Hyas and, and Sinop, I can't say that. Uh, but, but the very first one about the crustaceans were, I think there was sound. Oriented I, with that. I think so. I don't know if I don't yeah. know if the text. I don't know if the words were. There was definitely music, but I, I can't remember right, anymore. Right. And then the sea urchins one is uh, is silent. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, but, they all have music. Short. It's, it's really fascinating because, like, that whole thing is interesting because we've got the Yolotango soundtrack. But there is already a chosen soundtrack back. Yeah, for some of them. For most and of them, some of them all of them are except for the Sickle Egg. I think Sickle Egg is the only one that doesn't have its yeah. own music accompaniment already selected. Uh, and my takeaway think... from it, from that, was well, the musical accompaniment on the thing is also pretty interesting and good. Like, yeah, it, there's a lot, it gets it really into like some weird early synth stuff at, at a point, and that's kind right. of fun. I'm like, I was like, I'm digging the music on this. I don't actually need it's all the other in, soundtrack. All of it is interesting jazz. There's the synth stuff sometimes, like the one, like the the life cycle of the, uh, or what is it, the, the first jellyfish one. How some jellyfish are born has like this very uh, uh, 
or maybe it's the first octopus one i can't remember which but there's there's this like synth like mid-60s like sci-fi movie music yeah, 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 to it yeah. to sort of to sort of accentuate how alien these creatures are um and i think you know under understanding the vampire as meant to be some sort of anti-nazi thing is even more fascinating that he has it uh with duke ellington music then right right i to, i yes to choose a really... black jazz artist to talk about to to, right, like, I I, I I fundamentally agree with it's, it's, that one. That one's a weird one. The the explanation on the on the um, documentary helped to contextualize right. that a little bit. It still makes me a little uncomfortable because there's this sort of weird thing where you pair up vampires and jazz, and it sort of feels like you're saying a very specific kind of like cre- like uncomfortable yeah. thing. Because there's he, that whole he, thing like right. New Orleans association with like. That's with fair. vampires That's fair. No, and this sort it. of like rendering out of like the idea of voodoo and, and this all this a lot of really uncomfortable stuff. And the and the film does because he is not sympathetic, because he is trying to position the vampire as a metaphor for the Nazis. Uh, there is this exoticism of the vampire that uh, bat, that does not feel right coming from a Frenchman talking about a South American creature. Accompanied uh, by jazz music. <laughs> it's accompanied like, by I American understand jazz where it music. happened, and I don't think he did yeah. it on purpose. Right. But it also, I the whole time I was of, like, this is a little bit uncomfortable. There are a lot of ideas in that film that are all headed in the same direction, but are maybe incongruent when put yeah. together. I do like that it starts out with this general history of pop culture vampirism and animals as influence on folktales. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see him explore that idea more deeply, honestly. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the use of Duke Ellington was very interesting, but it is also the one where, during the documentary, he has the most to say about his regrets on the, on the science end. How he right. uh, didn't describe uh, the tongue correctly, because he believed a false thing about how vampire about vampires bat sucking blood instead of lapping it up, even though he's showing it being lapped up. Well, he, he thought the tongue went in the wrong direction or something right. like that. It was a bunch of right, like... right. Uh, and then uh, also when they brought it back to France, um, tried to get it to feed on a guinea pig instead of uh, something larger that it would normally have fed on and it did out of desperation, but didn't, didn't do it in the way it would have naturally done it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's interesting the way he talks about the science sometimes. Um, because, you know, there's that one where, where he records, uh, was it the brittle starfish giving birth where it's one, it's one starfish every 20 minutes, one baby coming out. And the official literature was that they only ever give birth twice at a time because mm-hmm. that was the extent that anyone had ever observed it. Right. Because no one sat around to wait for the third one to come out. Right, right, right. And also no <laughs> one was, had, like, I mean, again, yeah. there's a lot of benefit right. involved in, like, I can just right, record right. this as long as I need to. I can to, just right? set a camera up. 
it's it's in my little pool in my office. I can set the camera up and leave. Um, so that's interesting too, and how there was some blowback from the scientific community saying you're not you. We already know how this happens. You can't challenge that, which is very, very odd. Uh, I don't. I understand that that impetus in science exists and has existed, uh, but it's still disappointing to encounter. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's that uh, it's the old like. I mean, like it's you know right. people who have established ideas about things. It's you know science is supposed to be open minded about that kind of stuff, but you know it's right, right, it is right. only to the extent that people are able to be able to do that themselves as people, right? Like there's a yeah. limit to how flexible people, individual people, can be, right? And then who knows how many people were like up in arms about it, right? Like because he, you know, we we are right. Whenever he describes someone getting mad about it, who knows how many people actually were mad about it? One single dude who like wrote a book and was like, "Son of a bitch, you ruined my book." Like it could be anything, right? right? Like it just could be. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But you know, Um, I mean, it is interesting to 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 find that stuff out. Um, He also, I one of the things he talks about in the documentary. That like I'm glad we didn't have to watch. I guess it, I don't know if it ever. Got, I don't think it got made. It got canned, but like it kind of goes to where, in my mind, sort of like I my I mentally connected this one and the vampire bat one. Is he talked about like he wanted to make a movie about female circumcision in in yeah. Africa and he yeah like first of all like really delving into a topic that he probably shouldn't like it's not really like. It's a, it's a, it's a problematic thing for him to choose to try to like, right? Talk about with zero personal experiences at all, or zero like real personal relationship with it at all, and then also being French, which comes with its own set of baggage involved in talking about Africa. But then also decided to do it via actors and actresses in right inside of France, and like I connect, I kind of connected that in some of the other movies where it felt like. Occasionally, it, it did have that feeling of this guy who doesn't have to worry about what people think about him because he's essentially immune to critique in many ways. Kind of, ju- sort of, just a kind of what would almost be qualified as an aristocrat, just sort of floundering around doing yeah. whatever he wants at times. And like, oh, this is the cause I'm interested in now. I'll do this. Because again, I'm not bound by the norm, like the way society functions. Because essentially, I can't, I can't lose. Uh, it, right. I don't know. It, I, I, it's not like a strong impression, but it's one I got a few times because, given his personal position in life, he that you kind of that's sort of just the general impression I got a lot of times was like. It's sort of like, oh, well, that sort of same, same thing about like stumbling into a zoo and just getting an internship is like kind of right, goes hand right, in hand right, with right. like. And then I decided to make a movie about female circumcisions. Like, you did what now? Yeah. W- what on earth made you think that was a good idea for you to do? Right. Know. And, you know, with with his various collaborators, it's interesting that, you know, sometimes it might have been say someone saying, hey, why don't you direct this movie for me? And then him still saying, and then I decided to make this movie, right? Right. Um, 
I do get that feeling sometimes. Yeah, 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 for sure. There's know. definitely some of those. There's definitely a lot of those. Yeah. It's Hearing, just that, like, sometimes it's like, why did you decide you wanted to make that movie? I don't understand what right. is going on with you. Um, right. It, it does uh, It does beg the question, what sort of technological innovations would he have brought to, to such a... Such, uh, 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 <laughs> I don't even know how to finish this. I don't sentence. know where this sentence is going at all. I, I was trying to make a joke out of it, but then I decided I didn't want to. Yeah. It's too dark. It is. Um, well, and, and that's the thing, right? Yeah. Is that like, and, uh, you know, again, we, we, we only see a subset of the movies he made. I get the impression they're all, right, his right. catalog is much, much larger than this. Uh, we watched that one that's that, uh, Bluebeard, and I kind of feel like it's in the same vein. It's, it's like, well, I'm just this sort of like weird pseudo aristocrat, and I'm gonna make, and I want to make this stop motion animation film. It's like, right? You want what? I mean, Bluebeard, Bluebeard's really. I know a guy who wrote a short opera, and I know a guy who likes to make clay models. And let's let's just all my friends, let's hang out for a right. couple days. And so, what we're gonna come down to here, Adam, is that. Anyone you've ever met in high school who got a hold of a right. video camera for an hour, right? But right. it's that but, same impetus. But except didn't he's... have parents who were the prime minister of France, right? This is what happens if you're right. those kids, and your parents are the prime. One of your parents is the prime minister of France, <laughs> right, right? Because, right, right, right. like, I do get the impression that a lot of it is like, hey, what if I just point a camera at this? And it sort of spirals out from there, right? And then eventually, you know, you get better at it and stuff. But, like, it's just it's a fascinating thing to think about because, like, a lot of people have that impetus in their life. But, like, right. they don't have the ability to do anything with it because, like, again, their dad's not the prime minister. Wasn't Was not at any point the prime minister of France. Right. Uh, right. And the head right. of, like, like, like Le Scientifique du France or whatever it's called. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, um I did. I did really like Bluebeard. Um, I, it was. It was interesting. I. I think. Uh, I think claymation wise, it is not noticeably worse than say Gumbasia from twenty years later. Right. So okay. As yeah. far as as far as amateur claymation goes, it's pretty good. Right. No. Uh, yeah. It, it is. It is. I mean, like. I'm impressed. I mean, there's some good work there. I mean, yeah. really, like, it's a, he's doing one third of it. There's a whole group of people involved right. here to making this work. Um, it's it's pretty good. I'm not even I'm I'm not even clear on how much of the work he was doing actually. Right. I'm uh, a little bit yes. Cause it, it's uncertain because because it seems like maybe Bertrand was also taking the photo- photographs for it. I kind of so. think so too, so maybe he just quote unquote edited it. I don't know. Yeah. Um there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh I I don't one of the things I wanted to talk about with regards to this that we haven't gotten to yet is this kind of movie. And Brackage puts us in a similar position but a slightly different one. Yeah. But this is the position to say is and like we're not going to get an answer, and I'm not going to make a judgment. By this type of movie, you mean this type of Criterion release, right? Pres- yes, specifically Criterion yes. releases. Um, yeah, about talking about the nature of art and like what that means, especially in context of Criterion Collection in general. Also, 
uh, because we, you and I have talked about this sort of concept of before, and and sometimes we've been a little bit dismissive, but I think we try to avoid it. Of like, well, if you point a camera at a beautiful thing, you get beautiful right. footage, which is not a hundred percent true. You also have to be good at using your camera, but like the camera work is mostly what would be qualified as a like learned skill slash maybe a little bit of, you know right. some definitely some sort of artistic intuition, but it's it's a sort of skill it's a sort of highly skilled work that has some has art to it uh right and so you get into a similar subset of this with brackage but and with regards to weird visuals well, brackage is doing more creation in the sense that brackage is sort of coming up with novel ways to in, invent new broken film essentially that looks right. really interesting uh if if Liquid Crystal had been part of the Brackage uh, right, right. release, I wouldn't have been surprised. And if Brackage had ever thought to use Liquid Crystal... To, Brackage, Brackage was not about randomness, though, right? Brackage no, was, no. was particularly creating a specific thing in his images. So the Liquid Crystal is, is different to Brackage in that. Right. And, and, but it did and, remind me of Brackage. Right. And, and the reason uh-huh. I, I bring up Brackage primarily as, as a sort of almost as a contrast to this... Be, yeah. Just because like Brackage is in a similar world, but not the same thing at all. Uh, whereas here, it's like, well, if I point a camera at an interesting thing, I will get an interesting right. thing. And not not to down I, again. I don't want to downplay it because there, that is a lot there. But like, I you're right on the edge of being like, am I watching art or am I watching a scientific paper? Right. And here's the thing. Once a choice is made, it becomes art, right? Once there's an edit, it, right. it ch- fundamentally changes what we're looking at. Right. And, you know, prior to, you know, with the, with I think the first sea urchins, it's the first one they actually filmed underwater. And when they filmed it underwater, uh, no, it wasn't the sea urchins. Which one was it? The seahorses. The seahorse was the first one they filmed underwater. And in filming it underwater, they only had a camera in the apparatus that could film 20 seconds at a time. Right. right? So, so there is, there is choice, a lot of choice involved, not just in what you're going to shoot, but there's also a lot of chance involved in what you're going to be able to shoot when filming with live creatures in the actual ocean. Uh, he does enough with editing and with music accompanying it that I think it becomes art, particularly after the silent ones that were particularly commissioned for the Academy, right? Which were meant to be scientific bits. Um, right. So when he is, when he is making something for a public consumption, I think he is making art. Right. And when I, he's I, making something. Oh, go ahead. Just for scientists. I, I hesitate to call it art. Well, and, and that's where it gets really, I, for me, it gets very complicated, right? Because, that line seems very exacting, but it's also extremely not exacting, right? Because yeah, yeah. Like for example, if we if we look into something saying like, okay, well, when as soon as we start editing it, we're we're getting into art. Well, all scientific material is edited. Like that's fair. A hundred percent. Is every scientist who goes and says, okay, well, this data is not applicable because of you know. Or I'm I'm going to narrow down the field of view for this data to this because this is what actually tells the story that I want to say. Like, are those scientists doing art? 
hard to say. They're not. We wouldn't ever say they are. But like by by any it, and my point is more talking about the sort of vagaries of the definitions we create for different right, things right, right. Uh, than anything else. Because bear in mind, borderline what like we have to get into the question, have I have made somewhere, if I wanted to add up over the course of my teaching career, probably like I'm gonna say over ten thousand PowerPoints. Have I made thousand art? art pieces? Well, it's hard to say, right? I th- because I think probably for one or co- two of them at least. Well, if you've ever seen my, quite a few of them are artistic <laughs> endeavors in their own right. Uh, primarily because if you make enough PowerPoints, you get very bored with making PowerPoints, uh, and so you well. start adding things that are just there for you to spice up the situation a little bit. Occasionally, but, something can be so boring that it itself becomes, becomes art, a commentary too. on boringness. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Uh-oh. Sometimes you're like, maybe if I take the interesting out a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like, I've also recorded probably somewhere well into the multiple hundreds of explainer videos on various things for students at various stages. Right. And they all required editing. They all required me to artistically think about like, well, what goes well after what? But I would never describe any of them as art, despite the fact that nearly every teacher I know at this point records countless videos for their students, right. especially in the last year, year and a half. But like in general terms, that's been a thing for a while now, right? Especially since distance learning has been very popular for quite a long time. Teachers have been recording videos fucking left and right for at least right. a decade. Right. And, public, right. and making them, and they all require editing, and they all require the teacher to at least think about the sort of intellectual flow of the thing to make sure it all sort of like gels well for the students and there's not too many weird jarring cuts that make the students maybe like get you know uncomfortable or something like that i think i think one place where where his work changes from that is that he is he is not making just choices about the flow he is also making choices about the aesthetics right but he's also making choices about entertainment value in some of the public public and front i will stuff. i will guarantee you something every teacher who's made a video who's worth anything has it's, done it's, it's definitely thinking about but, because value. well and and aesthetics because like if you are if you introduce me to a person who is willing to make a video without even taking a moment to consider like well which of these themes should i choose and like which of these things is this is more like i have these three cuts of this thing which is more aesthetically pleasing it's almost impossible to not, right? Because you're going to do that as a as a human being. You're almost always sort of engaged in semi-artistic endeavors because producing a thing devoid of that in very like in some sort of like weird Spock mode would be so deeply right. uncomfortable as a human being to engage in that it would make you you just can't do it. Like, oh, right, right. I have to choose between these two things. The only thing I have to go on is aesthetics. I'm going to choose the more aesthetically pleasing one. Or for some weird reason, I might decide to choose the unesthetically pleasing one because I'm feeling like I got a mood going on, right. going on today. Right, right. At which point you've still made an artistic that. decision. I'm not right. trying to discount what he's doing. I'm. It's more just that like it is the world we exist in now. It is fascinating partially to consider that the world he existed in and the world we existed in, we exist in now, while all sort of a... a a singular unit, a flow of time. We exist in a world where nearly every teacher is doing his work on a nearly right. daily basis. 
And and it's not to discount I mean, what he did because it's also a part of the history of these kinds of thing and education and everything like that. Even before we get to today, think about how many science videos you watch. I don't know. I don't know about your like, exactly, but like how many science videos you watched growing up in a science class. Right, hundreds. And All I, of those are the sort of grandchild of this, but they were engaged in doing essentially some version of this on a mass scale. By the time you get to the eighties, right? As soon as you right, get to like, right. bef- but even before that, right? Like, I had teachers early on, and like, um, like there were like people were doing it in the sixties and seventies. There were teachers breaking out reel-to-reel cameras to or reel-to-reel projectors to show kids science doc, like these right. kind of things and as and as you get more and more into more widely reproducible um you know uh, entertainment formats like VHS and things like that that number goes to just skyrockets right so every right. kid i know watched educational videos in classes and they're all the yeah. the descendant of this but they also at some point, what is his sort of artistic medium becomes a sort of mass market medium, and then eventually becomes even beyond mass market to be like completely distributed among the entirety of the education population, like educator population of educators, right? And it's just a fascinating sort of flow over time. And if the, what right. he is doing is art, then one has to believe that all the people who did that thing afterwards even if it's spread out to a teacher doing it once a week, is engaged in essentially a derivative does form it, of that art form. Does it stop being art when it becomes easy? Right. When the answer is no, right, it just becomes distributed, that, yeah. right? It's just right. interesting to think about that, like, I'm going to go back to work next week with a renewed sense of purpose that that shitty video I made to describe to my students about particles is actually art. Right. I engaged in right. art when I made a uh, I, when I started explaining like fucking like B verbs. I was like I was engaged right. in art because sure as shit I did a lot of that same stuff. I chose music I for think, the background. I did everything. I think, you know, we often end up speculating about Criterion's reason for for including something, right? And it's interesting to me that Within the text of what Criterion has presented to us, we freely admit that he is not the first person to do this sort of thing. And he is not even the first person to do it well, but he is the first one to do it consistently and to keep doing it despite a lack of commercial success because he is not having commercial success with Yeah, the closest he gets is a break-even with the, so, one of them. So I am I am interested then in why Criterion is disinterested in exploring why he is the one who is famous for this. Well, cuz like Criterion meta commentary on itself is only willing to go so so deep. That's fair. Like Criterion is at at best mildly introspective. Right, like Criterion could be best described as maybe casually introspective, like the way people are <laughs> when they're chit chatting with their friends around coffee. Like right. uh, you go right. like one layer deep. You're not gonna get down to the root of like, oh well, the rich white guy from France is the one that we're right. featuring because we're talking, you know. And that's the thing, and that that's really what it boils down to is we're talking. 
there is a Criterion release of Jean Painlev short films because David Painlev was Prime Minister of France. Right, right. In the end, that is how this all works out. If one follows the sort of logical, or Paul, Paul was his. Well, it doesn't. Name, it, I don't know. But anyway, Daddy. Um, but yeah, but like it is. It is fascinating because it also makes you know, and and Criterion gets to be removed from that, right? Because they get to say, well, he right. was just the famous one. We chose him because he was famous for it. He became famous. Like, Criterion could delve right. into why he's Criterion famous. Criterion doesn't. They don't care. But Criterion has never been interested in delving into that sort of right. background biographical details of, of why. Right? right. And that's why we've had so many conversations about that <laughs> about sort of the, thing the over the years. About the very same topic, yeah. Right. Yeah, right. And, 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 it, and it's just, it's you, one does kind of, and that's what makes Criterion a little bit uncomfortable at times to work with because they also, over the years, will sometimes try to feature like, oh, well, we're featuring artists of this sort or, you know, people of, you know, oh, we want to feature artists like more sort of minority artists or something like that. But then they don't really at the same time have any willingness to dig into like, how did we make all these decisions that like prior to Spine, a thousand right. Well, we're not going to talk about that. That's not right. We don't right, need to right, engage right, in right, our right. decision-making process. That's not relevant. Right. So you know, this is an interesting set, and I think, I think I share in your impetus to talk about it in the same breath of something like by Brackage because it's the collection of short films, and you know, Brackage is much more. I mean, interested in right. making explicit art. Obviously. Absolutely, they and, that, and that's important. They, they, I, I don't want to like lump them exactly the same so in one regard it might be more like the martha graham stuff in that it is meant to be uh there is an inherent entertainment value to some of the stuff but ultimately a lot of it is just meant to be a straight documentary a document of what is happening in these physical processes too right um and, you know, the Martha Graham thing is an interesting correlation to or connection to because we get um, it's not Martha Graham, but there is that that clip of uh, I think Nichelle Nadel is the actual dancer uh, in the uh, in the the witches dance video from 72 where they're talking about the Asera and they've got this whole dance thing. And then it's suddenly intercut with uh, a woman dancing in like a, a full a full body cape leotard thing. Right, right, that, right. That's the sort of thing I associate with Martha Graham, but I don't think this was, I don't think, I think it, uh, Louis Fuller, I think is the, the name of, of where that comes from. And they, they do a call out, uh, I think in another, maybe in that one or another one, they actually mention Louis Fuller by name. Um, or Louis, but anyway, uh, one thing the essay brings up, uh, which I think is very interesting. Scott McLeod writes, or Scott McDonald, rather. Scott McDonald writes the essay, and it brings up something, something very interesting that, you know, a lot of the way, a lot of the way Penviel, or, or Penlev talks about uh, sexual intercourse, even as many of these films are about sexual intercourse, yeah. A lot of the ways he talks about it are very, very Bunellish, I think. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah. 
you know, this sort of, this sort of, you know, it's like, it's like Bunel claiming he doesn't have a foot fetish because he can't be, he can't be psychoanalyzed, you know, right, from way right. back. Um, uh, but, but one thing the essay gets into that, that I think offers a very interesting perspective is this idea of, uh, of gender and sexuality as presented in these films. And Payne Lev's insistence on featuring those aspects of these creatures' lives as a way of challenging and as a way of uh, humanity learning from them. So, you know, for instance, we get particularly um, with the Starfish movie, we get, uh, we're talking about a, uh, a species that is wholly female. And, and produces, uh, I think, with the jellyfish ones, we talk about uh, wholly female and male species that produce sexually anyway. They aren't asexual reproduction. They are sexual reproduction, but they are, uh, we talk about hermaphrodite <coughs> animals and species. We talk about the, the acera, where, where they're all hermaphrodites and sexual intercourse is uh, a chain of multiple animal creatures performing as both male and female uh and mcdonald presents this and i don't know i i while it is not it is all subtext so it's hard right but the fact that it exists at the time it exists is still very interesting to to McDonald's interpretation of that. And maybe I, I I say that because it comes to me from McDonald, not because it's necessarily original to him. Um, so it is interesting the way Penlev seems particularly interested in aspects of these animals that set them apart from humanity, but in ways where maybe we could learn from them to be less assholeish. Right. I mean, an asshole. I can, I can definitely, I, I can see reading it that way and I can, I can, I don't disagree with it exactly. My only two thoughts on that that are at all counter to that would be, first of all, biology as a subject has a distinct obsession with the reproductive processes of most animals. That's anyway. That is fair. Like inherent to it. Because that's one of those ways where animals get quote unquote kind of weird is that like you establish in your mind that humans are normal and then you watch that sort of just fall apart over time. And that's the thing that scientists in biology get kind of crazy about because it's neat to watch things that are just doing things that are completely different than yours. Um, Yeah. And so I don't, it's hard to say because you get into this thing where it's a little bit like, well, yeah, but is, is, just chan- channeling a normal biologist sort of semi-obsession with the reproductive processes of other creatures. Uh, well, I think I think we we sort of come back to the vampire with that then, in that what Painlev claims is his overt purpose is not always necessarily plainly understandable from the text. Right. 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 So so McDonald's is actually drawing from an interview. Uh, an unpublished interview that Painlev gave, and for instance, talks about the seahorses and how even presenting the seahorses' reproductive structure is a challenge to human gender binary, right? Because the father, uh, 
essentially gets pregnant. Maybe not exactly biologically gets pregnant, but the eggs are implanted into a pouch on the father, and the father brings them to birth. Uh, and that is that is a challenge to gender norms. And working in France in the 30s and the 40s, maybe that is a thing that he is actively trying to do. And maybe that's the ideological influence of the anarchists and the Dadaists who he's hanging around with. Uh, and that's an interesting, an interesting way to approach his work. And because it is the Criterion essay, maybe that answers our questions about why Criterion I, chose to explore the work. I will. I'll say this. I. I agree. The reason I would be would tend to maybe agree with that uh, that reading of his work is not so much because of his choice of subject, but his tendency to hyper anthropomorphize his subject at the same time that he's engaging with that topic, which does make it different than reading a textbook about that thing. Because like, obviously the data he's presenting, especially in those is, is widely known among the biologists that would, where that data would originate from anyway. Right. Like none, no biologist is watching like no, no one who's ever, no one who had ever studied seahorses already was watching that and be like, Oh really? I didn't know. But, but, for the for the public consumption and and including like sort of hyper anthropomorphization, he is sort of like putting it into the realm of the human, which makes it more likely that it is in that way sort of a very subtle challenge, and it is a very subtle challenge. Like, like, right. like presenting facts that in a in a sort of jazzed up way that might make some people who watch the thing a little uncomfortable is a very subtle very gentle challenge at at right, at, at, right. at most not that it's bad to do it or or that it's not worth doing but it is very subtle the other thing i would say about that is that um i don't know that that's the reason why criterion chooses this i think criterion said like to themselves like more like oh there's this fate you know because the, their choosing process is somewhat black boxed right obviously but like right right i'm sure that basically it came down to like this guy has been very knew a lot of famous cinematar- like filmmakers and also was like really influential in the sort of like development of scientific film and produced a lot of things that border right on the edge between art and science. Right. Boy, that sounds like a and really also, interesting topic to throw into our And into also our the DVD comes out on the 20th anniversary of his death yeah, and well, I mean maybe not exact date but in the year of. So Maybe there's that too, and, and presuming um, that you have the right people on your board or whatever, they many right, of them right, are probably right. already aware of this person. He passed away. You know, it's yeah. I think that, that I think, it's always best to view the article both as a separate affair and also a thing that comes post facto to the decision to make this a part of the Criterion Collection. That's also fair. That's also fair. Um, yeah. Because the essay, you know, obviously gets commissioned there to are, go there along. There are with, occasionally right. essays that are reprints of something earlier right. produced, but usually it is a commissioned work right. to go along with the with the DVD release, the initial release at least. Yeah, which doesn't discount the ideas of that person at yeah. all. It just it it removes it. It fundamentally removes it from the decision making process, unless right. it is one of those the, those ones that are reprints are are a wildly different animal that are worth. 
a whole different kind of examination because those are like those could have actually been involved in the decision making process that led to the choosing of the film. Right. Because like right, somebody right. might have read that article and been like, holy shit. Now we step back then to, to remind us that that uh, McDonald in what he's writing is on that in that regard is drawing on Payne Lev's own words about right. what but less publicized words about what he's trying to do. I I also think that that's just you know that's a very interesting take on uh, nature film to to try to normalize behaviors within humanity because they do exist uh, in nature. Uh, I don't I don't know that it works. Well, I don't and know that also it's it's, it's a very iffy subject to get into because right you watch I mean nature films by their nature. Um, right. have to cover the whole gamut of the creature's behaviors. Uh, if right, not right, inside right, of right. one film, inside of the plethora of films made about a creature, one would hope that they cover a majority of the behaviors of the creature, which oftentimes right. include things that we don't want human beings to replicate. But they're yeah. all anthropomorphized in general, if you've right. watched, which we all have, now, watched plenty of them. Now, Partially of course, because that's the only way the human beings can really connect to things is in the format of story. Like to really right. make a thing interesting for human beings, you make it into a story, and stories have to have characters. Characters have to have personalities and 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 traits that are understandable to the to the audience. And so you end up anthropomorphizing almost every animal, no matter right. how far removed they are from having like anything that one would consider having a personality. Without without getting too far into exploring the psyche of a person, I don't like. Um, a type of person I don't like, not a particular person in mind. Um, but if if there were someone who says that homosexuality or bisexuality or or transsexuality are unnatural and don't exist in human or or in nature, being their their claim that it's unnatural to say it doesn't exist in nature, and we showed them a Sarah or we showed them the seahorse video here things that challenge those claims it would have they're zero not going effect. to change their yeah. mind it would have, it would zero, have zero effect, effect yeah. i mean the reality of the matter is is that if you've gone down that you're just going to exclude that data you're just going to say well that's not relevant right. because those aren't like higher order seeing, animals or seeing a chain of five yeah seeing a chain of five sea slugs that are both hermaphroditic and in a in and in a sex chain um, is not going to make you okay with uh, polyamory or... or and, and honestly speaking, talking about the nature of people, I would be more bothered, I would be more confused and bothered by the person who it does affect than the person it right. doesn't. Because, like, seeing a That's bunch fair. of sea slugs and then radically altering your understanding of human sexuality is a disturbing trend of behavior. <laughs> Right, there right, maybe right, right. you need to you yourself need to go to a doctor because some something has happened that is allowing you to be influenced on a deep level oh, yeah. by very bore like only mildly relevant data. Um right. like not like not that that person is right in his attitudes or ideas this this sort of straw man we've created that I know they exist but you know right. what I mean. Right. Um that person would be more upsetting if they like they watch this like these five sea slugs and they're like oh man I've seen the light, and then there's, there's, there's to any, ta- anything's possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the world is my oyster. And then they go out and try to join a bunch of polyamorous relationships or something. I don't know. That person's deeply upsetting, and I don't want to meet them because I think they would also maybe <laughs> murder me at some point or something. I don't know. 
Uh, I mean, it is it is very close to to the sort of person who says that if they weren't a Christian, they would see no reason not to murder someone. <laughs> right. Uh, that person also scares me, and I tried to leave those rooms as right, right, fast right. as humanly possible because they are those, basically those are, the same person. Those are people I've had conversations with, so I know they exist. Yeah, uh, and and maybe they're in similar range. I don't, I, you know. Well, it's to say I know they exist is maybe a, a separate thing too. I know that they make those claims, right? And almost I, don't know I, that... I believe almost universally that anybody who says that is lying as much to themselves as right, they are to right, me. Right, right, uh, right, right. Yes, I would turn into yeah. a rampant murderer if I just if oh if I hadn't heard the word of Jesus, I would have turned into a rampant right, murderer right, right, right now. No, right. no, you wouldn't have, right. big weirdo. Anyway. Anyway, I think I think in a way it is actually a more compelling argument to say that that these things, uh, these expressions of gender and sexuality exist in such low order creatures uh, that that it seems like a baseline of nature, right? Uh, but at the same time, usually people making that unnatural argument are also not. Well, I don't even know if I can concretely say usually, but. In my experience, uh, often the people making that sort of argument against expressions of gender and sexuality are uh, also deny the existence of evolution. So, right. See no biological uh, connection between me right, and a sea right, slug right. anyway. So right. at that right. point, well, because so, again, when you when you pull out those kind of arguments, you're just looking for arguments that prove your point. Right. You're not really, right. you're, not, you're, not you're not actually wanting to engage first with what you're doing. Right. analysis, you're doing... Right. I have this idea. I'm going to find whatever makes it work. Right, um, right, so, right. You know. Yeah. And if we're lucky, seeing a data point that contradicts it will ma- just make them stop making that argument. Yeah, it will yeah never at best. Them... Yeah. And, and that's a good thing, I guess, <laughs> right? Because right? you I won't guess, confuse yeah. some poor, like, eight-year-old that they talk to. And... <laughs> right, 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 right. I guess that's fair. Um are there any other stickouts that you wanted to mention particularly? Uh, um, I don't know that we've mentioned every film by name so far. No, I, I'm I know. Not in fact, to. there are a few that we haven't. No, the, uh, the I will physics s- ones. The the space the, the 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 fourth dimension one is amusing and interesting only in its sense that like you can tell he's way out of his depth and he's just yes. borderline <laughs> making shit up. I think that's fair. Yeah. Like, he he's willing to express I mean, the concept of fourth dimensions, but he's like doing a little bit of calculus. But he's dead set on the idea that calcul that like the fourth dimension in calculus is time. And then he's also dead set on the idea that like what a person. Well, actually, it, for the for the majority of it, he's dead set on the third dimension in calculus being time. Right, right. And that's maybe a problem right. too. Right, and then so. also he gets into this weird thing where he gets real weird about it, and he's like, well, if a creature lived in the fourth dimension, like you mean like a who could see the fourth dimension, he'd be able to see all your organs. And like, I don't think that that's what that means, man. Like, yes, yeah. like. Do you think that everything that's one order higher than you in a dimensional sense would just be able to see the organs of the thing that's one dimensional lower? Yeah. Like, I think I, I think the fourth dimension was a phenomenal special effects reel for 1936. Yeah, I think so too. And there's I a lot think of neat as a stuff piece going of science, yeah, as a piece of science, it's it was questionable. <laughs> it is but. very rough, and it is the one that got closest to me being like, "What the fuck is this guy talking about? What is <laughs> right, happening right, right. here?" Um. The uh, the background material in the documentary on the experimental treatment of a hemorrhage in a dog mm. was very fascinating because it adds so much more context than is actually in that movie. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 
And while I was really happy to learn that not only did the dog not die, which we see in the film, it not dying, but it later had puppies, which apparently was cut from the film. No, it was in the uh, film. They said oh, it. Oh, was it? I just, they didn't maybe show I just, the puppies, but they said, yeah. like, the puppy, the, and we're happy to announce the puppy, like, it was, yeah, yeah they, they mentioned it in the, new, in the reel. So, so the, the science of what's going on is that uh, a doctor he was familiar with uh, created a, a whole blood replacement serum, uh, which I didn't know was a thing that could exist. Uh, I mean, yeah. And turns out maybe it's a thing that can't exist. <laughs> well, it certainly uh, went bad on the boat, that's for sure. Yeah, the problem, the problem was stabilization over time uh, because it was highly acidic. Uh, and they didn't have a way to uh, measure pH at the time, according to Payne Levy. Um, so anyway, what happened was when they started using it on humans in Europe, uh, they died as their uh, as their blood vessels erupted, uh, which is certainly bad. Uh, but the dog survived, so that's good. Um, Payne Levy's claim that he immediately <laughs> realizes is a bad claim and backs up <laughs> in the same breath as saying it. That that if uh, if the serum had caught on and been stabilized, that it could have uh, stopped the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, he and doesn't he quite back up said, as far as he should have, but yes, right, right. Of course, well, only only in as much as as AIDS was spread through blood transfusions. But um, I mean, which is a fascinating also, place to go with it because, like, you can't. I mean, I guess it was the eighties, right. but like. And 90s or whatever, but like it's like, man, you can't come up with any other reason why a artificial blood would be really fucking rad to have, right? right like right, it's pretty right. patently amazing. Um, yeah. I, it makes me very suspicious. Uh, that that particular sequence of video, and then that makes me very uncomfortably suspicious, just because. Also, like the idea that people would be like, yeah, I mean, we had it, but then we were like, mm, we don't need this. Like he also puts. Uh, I'm guessing there were other problems. He he says it wasn't further developed uh, because blood donation became such a thing, and he puts the uh, he puts the economic uh, blame for blood donation, the rise of blood donation, on the wrong end of that spectrum. Absolutely, like the only thing he actually mentions is, and now suddenly students could sell whole blood for four yeah, four dollars or forty dollars a pint, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> which is not not great from a guy who uh, was was pretty clearly a devout communist throughout most of right. his life. Right. One one does wonder about. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say though. Like he, oof, yeah, we don't need to get into his credentials on that. Right. But like, right. It's, right. It's right. 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 All a little weird. Uh, all my my only thought on that was it's like my like. It's very hard for me to believe that no one's gone back and relooked at that. Considering how often we have blood shortages in this world, right? That nobody's gone back and reviewed that literature and been like, mm, actually, there were some other problems there. Like, oh, the other, the other uh, less biological one that I got worried about as soon as it started was the struggle for survival, which I assumed was going to be be completely Malthusian, uh, but instead was just boring. So right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the one about like population growth. Um, oh yeah that one was weird it was just like um that one was just yeah that was just yeah i mean i've seen we've all like i mean if you've studied like population size stuff in school or whatever you essentially watch a version of that uh, in right, some right, capacity right, right. or another 
and usually that version was more Malthusian than than this right, one right. ended up being. Um, and then his his very final film, um, which is not at all the last one we watched, but uh, but Pigeons in the Park uh, is the last movie he made, which he made in '82, I believe. Mm. Um, and it's the one that's most clearly oriented toward children, right? Um, I do find it interesting that that starts with in in text with the narration saying hey if you don't want to use our narration teacher feel free to record your own or use whatever like 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 it's a very rudimentally early open open source uh, right, right. copyright thing for it it's like use this however you like don't need to use our words use your own words don't need to watch the whole thing watch the part you know about and want to talk about it's very interesting yeah. particularly in the fact that it's it's kind of episodic in that the the different parts don't build on one another. Right. And that whole final sequence with the with the movement of the wings, um, yeah, is they're... very interesting, but is also straight data instead of right what the rest of the movie is. I w- I would say that 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 one's actually really I found that one very interesting because it does appear to be designed in that like the cutoff point where you stop watching is directly related to the age of your students. And how, yeah, yeah. and how, and how sort of mentally, de- you know, how developed they are, like a lot down the path of understanding biology. Like probably you're dealing with little kids. You probably don't even necessarily want to get into the to the foot falling off thing. Like, no, nah, we can cut it before we get there. We can just talk about pigeons in a sort of general sense um, before we get into like ailments that afflict them, you know, deeply and right. like end up ending their lives at some point or another. Uh, it sort of builds oh, up yeah, that way. Yeah, the- the uh, the extended sequence of club footed pigeons I found upsetting. Right, uh, and that, well, that's the thing, right? And like, you wouldn't want to show that to a third grader, but right. you'd probably be okay showing that to junior high school or high school students. They would find it upsetting, but they could deal with it, right? And then you're probably not going to show the flying sequence until you're talking to a high school student because, like, oh, now we've got integrated classes where we can like talk about physics in the biology class and the cl- and biology in the physics class and stuff like that. Um, it, it it's just a, it's a fa- it is a fascinating piece because it is the most I would call it the most sort of modern and uh, intentionally educational film, right? Um, the other one and and the description at the beginning plays into that, but it's not the only thing that makes it that way. The other things are more in the lines of like, well, I found this topic interesting, and here is a film I sort of ja- I kind of arted and jazzed up an interesting topic that I'm interested in. And like, you could definitely, it definitely, you can see the roots of educational film in it, but this one is in line with modern educational film, uh, like making techniques kind of thing. Like, right. You can see that this sort of back, like sort of the feedback loop of like this thing that he played a big part in creating has fed back into his own art and helped and resulted in him making a thing that's more in line with the sort of standards of like actual educational film as it's understood in 1982. So that's right. fascinating. That that's a, that makes that a really fascinating inclusion because that, you get that feedback loop of like, oh, now his yeah. films look like the thing that is made in term like for educational purposes. And it's it's interesting that, you know, this is the only one to really feature actual humans with right. the exception of the comedic introduction to shrimp stories, right? Right, which is um maybe later too. I don't know when Shrimp Stories is from. It's 64. But... Shrimp Stories was 64. Right, so it gets so, into that period where, like, 
it's not at not so much about like necessarily like presenting just hard data anymore at all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I also found the diatoms one to be reminiscent of brackage. Uh, and to that point, I am again, surprised that brackage did not ever seem to try to incorporate. Maybe when we get to the second half of the brackage site, right. we'll discover that brackage did actually, uh, experiment with, with organic living material. Yeah. But, I think uh, probably that my, my guess would be that like, I bet he doesn't just because brackage has a, Brackage, Brackage is inherently a, a creator, for, right? Like yeah. Bra- Brackage, by his nature, is do- is Penelope is turning biology, which is this sort of natural process, into into art. Is like transforming right. it in that way. Whereas Brackage is more from the get go, from point one, trying to create art. It's the you know, it, it's sort of like abstract painting versus like life painting or something like that, right? Like. Brackage is much more in the like this sort of like I'm going to do this process that will generate something that is of artistic merit rather than sort of recording something that exists and then sort of adding my sort of biases and thoughts on it to make it into art. It's just a, it's so subtle. It is a difference, but yeah, I don't, I bet he never works with anything biological at all. But we'll find out though pretty soon. We're not that far away from that. Uh, that box, I think. Right, it is ever, ever marching closer, nonetheless. The, uh, you know, his, his, his comedy with, with, uh, shrimp stories, it's bifurcated, right? You know, the comedy stuff happens and then the, the biology stuff happens. Right. Um, with sea ballerinas, where, where it sort of ends with the, with the extended joke about the, the crustacean conductor. Um, yeah waving his baton at these ballerinas that that pain also says a bunch of a bunch of scientists got him got mad at him for um but uh you know i don't know it's interesting i don't find i think ultimately i don't find anything pain is doing uh to be in any way abhorrent or in any way really dissimilar to like david attenborough Right. No, uh, that's, you know, that's kind of where I was going with that. Is that like that's yeah. the, it's the same thing. The David Attenborough stuff in many ways is building off of these sort of fundamental right. anthropomorphizations of animals to help humans better understand them. Um, it's a thing you ha- you have to do because otherwise you're just I suppose there is, a textbook. Even there's another aspect bad. that, uh, as far as Criterion's uh, uh, listing of this. Uh, seahorses, after which he made uh, Bakelite seahorse uh, uh, jewelry uh, for a while. Uh, seahorses is obviously his his work in general, but seahorses in particular is obviously an influence on Wes Anderson and Life Aquatic. Right. So, and that obviously had a Criterion release. So maybe maybe that's Criterion's whole thing. It's just yeah, just uh, just. It all Just comes to down to, to Wes Anderson in some way. Got to got to Wes Anderson it up. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's time to stop talking about this. There is yeah. a lot of material, of course, uh, because it is twenty three films, even though they are not especially long. Um, it is still a lot to talk about. So, of course, we went a little long, but uh, yeah, uh, this has been science is fiction. John Payne Lev's twenty three films. Um, Next week, uh, a very interesting movie uh, that I really enjoyed. 
uh, Stephen Frears' The Hit, a sort of oh, yeah. uh, a uh, a British gangster movie slash road movie. Uh, that's pretty entertaining from 1984. Uh, so we look forward to that. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Hygerian. I am, as always, Lee Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Otar Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. In Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at jonathanhape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.